Saiyans, and welcome to another episode of Pod Return to the Waking Saiyans. Uh, this is a companion podcast where we explore the lore and story of Pytalin and beyond. My name is Jen, and I'm joined by my co-host and researcher. I'm Levi. Hello, Levi. Hello, Jen. Today, we're going to continue our trip through the Limsa Lamensa main story quest. This is part two of three. There is more. This is a, the, the weird middle child of MSQ in Limsa, in my opinion. I wouldn't call it that, but we'll find out yeah, soon. It's, it's, it's like what the boring part of the sandwich. The filling? That's the good part of the sandwich. <laughs> no, it's like the boring part of the sandwich. You're not there for the bread. Which is like, you know, the lettuce, I guess. It's like, the okay, lettuce. that's a little crunch. Can maybe tomato, because a lot of people have strong feelings about tomato. Can I recommend is, a good which heirloom? Which is what most of us get, yes. Anyway, we're not here to talk about tomatoes and Jen's weird bread love sandwich hate. We're here <laughs> to continue our trip through Limsa. So, Jen, what happened last time? Okay, well, I mean, we arrive in town. Um, we have a bad experience with some yellow jackets because they accuse us of being kidnappers. And uh, Baderon tells them off. And then we go out to Summerford Farms to, to help out on the farm. Pretty much. Perfect. Okay. Good recap. So we're off to meet Stalevern at the Summerford Farms. Stalevern employs former pirates, and he's shorthanded right now. The farm is in middle Lanosia, so we're going to head out of Limsa's Zephyr Gate to reach it. Middle Lanosia is a gorgeous scrubby grassland intersected with dusty roads and stream beds of white rocks. This is true. I, I cannot fault the accuracy of these statements. And the whole area is cut in two by a giant cleft left over from the Calamity. That Calamity, man. So as soon as we step outside the city, we get hit with that Lanosia music, which, especially in daytime, makes me feel like it's time for adventure. It's a nice mix of kind of optimistic adventuring music, but also referencing this kind of bucolic landscape and lifestyle that you encounter all over Lenosia. Um, so I think the music, they fucking nailed it. Yeah. I, I wish that I love the city music as much as the outdoor music. Yeah. I mean, the, the city's fine. It's just a little too uh, uh, maritime for me. So we head for the farm. It's a short trip up a low rise. We pass by some fenced-in orchards on the way up. The farm compound itself is fortress-like. There are rough stone walls topped with a metal fence that surround the whole compound. This place used to be a yellow jacket camp known as Camp Bearded Rock before it was wiped out by the Calamity. Hmm. So that's why it looks like a fortress. It was one at one point in time. That makes sense. This farm... Uh, Summerford Farms is part of Admiral Merrill Vibb's settlement initiative. She's trying to get these pirates to take up a more respectable, less violent trade, and she's offering grants for those who can work the land and make an income and a living off the land to get them going. So the farm is part of that, and if they succeed, great, that they get some fat cash. If they fail, then there's no grant. So there's some pressure there to make sure that they perform to to get this big farm payment this big farming subsidy yeah it's i mean it's going it's it could it could be going better it could be going much better because all the pirates don't like to work on the farm they really fucking hate it it's like half and half as you walk around the whole area there are groups of farmhand pirates just like hanging out and getting into fist fights oh yeah just whooping it up with their with their ale and their songs and their and their hooliganism so they are <laughs> I mean, I, I get it. I, I can't imagine what sort of transition literally from, you know, the life of a, of a pirate, which is drinking and carousing and stealing and the, the wind in your face and the open sea. That and then seems all of like a sudden, propaganda. All of a sudden, you're just like a, you know, a landlubber who has to pick oranges. It's harsh. Yeah. I mean, I mean, yeah. I mean, how do you how do you live a, a lifestyle that isn't that is like on the straight and narrow? They don't know how to do that. So we meet Stalevern. 
He is a balding eyepatch Rogaden. He used to be a pirate captain, but is, has now taken his crew to land with him. His ship was destroyed in the Calamity, so probably a good time for a career change. And I think he's taking he's taken to it very well. He's a natural leader. Um, he sees potential in people, and he also can tell when they're, you know, being shits. He may be a bit too forgiving in some cases. Yeah. Since half the people we're going to meet today are Rogaden, let's talk about some Rogadens. Time for a lore dump, Jen. Huzzah! Well, that's why we're here, right? These are the big, beefy folks. Big, thick bodies, thick everything, pretty much. At least on, on the male side. Uh, the ladies tend to be taller and... When you're creating like a female Rogaden, I mean, they're very, they're very fit. You know, they're very, very muscular. Um, they're very tall, but proportionate, you know, not like overly, overly bulked up in any case. They all have these very square and pronounced noses. Right. It's yeah, like the, a rectangle the, the flat, on the face. Almost. Yeah, the flat bridge and Easter Island head vibe. Nice. Good comparison. Brogaden tend to make their homes in harsh, rugged environments. I'm assuming it's not by preference that they, they choose the worst places to live. It's, it's I guess, um, opportunistic. Because no one else can hang. Brogaden's going to hang. For the sea wolves, they came here, like we talked about in the first Lemsa episode, they came here involuntarily. Their ship shipwrecked here, essentially, and they were forced to make do. So I think for the ones... In La Nocia. They could have done worse. Jeez Louise. They could have done worse, though there's, of course, the, the kobold friction and the Sahagin, too. The Rogadian culture in general exalts strength and looks down on the weak. So not especially healthy. Good for pirating, maybe. I guess. I don't know. I feel like that that trope never pans out in the long run. I feel like that prizing strength above weakness is going to be just a mode of survival not necessarily like a, a creed for their people so it's not unique good job rocadens for just settling on the most basic tenet of living there are two types of rogaden there are the sea wolves and the hell's guard the sea wolves are the ones that we are so familiar with so far these are the ones that live in limsa lamensa they are the, the pirates that came from the northern empty so long ago. And that's pretty much it. We're, we're living their lifestyle right now and their successors. Because yeah, yeah. Lemsa is above any other peoples. It is a, a rogue city, you know, by population and by history. Yep. Yep. And you can tell the difference between um, sea wolves and Hellsguard because sea wolves have crazy ass names that you can't pronounce. Hellsguard have really easy names. Sea wolves also have primarily aqua skin tones, whereas Hellsguard are browns and reds. You know what? You know ruddy. what, Levi? I don't judge people by the color of their skin. Okay, I judge them by their stupid ass names. <laughs> it's not. It's not true. I. But I know, they Jen. are really fucking hard to say. I agree. So the Hellsguard actually predated the sea wolves and Eorzea. They also come from the Northern Empty, but. Um, a different group crossed over from their, from the Rogadens' homeland to Eorzea, and they settled in the mountains. Seems like a long trek from the shores where they arrived, presumably to the mountains, but there we have it. The details of that journey and that arrival are still sketchy. Sketchy as in, like, they don't have a, a written record of that history themselves, or they do, but they don't want to share it, or... The sources I have don't go into the details as to what their journey was like. I see. The Hellsguard have a tradition of firewalking, which is said to awaken their mystic talents. Okay, that's actually interesting. How does that manifest in our interactions with Hellsguard Rogaden in general? Like, does it at all? Is there any sort of hint that they firewalk? Except for the very odd person, we meet very few Hellsguard in the first part of the game. Right, yeah, I think um, they're all sea wolves. We, we see some in Uldah and Thanalan because that's closer to where they hail from. But in Limsa, it is 100% sea wolves, except for my character, who is a Hellsguard. Sure. Yes. Also, Hellsguard tend to eat most anything that is remotely edible. Oh, I remember this now. This is this was the goat tuck. We don't talk about the hidden episode zero that we scrapped. <laughs> <laughs> They're the, the goats of Eorzea because they eat all the things. Yes, they are the goats of Eorzea. Oh, good for them. 
Waste not, want not, as they say. And that's a Rogaden. So back to our story now. All right. Back to the old main story. Here we go. Farming. Farming and milling. If you want to do side quests, the side quests around here all are about farm life. You can pick fruits or remove rocks from orchards or whatever. It's not very interesting and it's not needed whatsoever <laughs> in terms of leveling. So I'd say skip it. I did it. I guess I've gotten to the point in my gameplay where I hate seeing the side quest bubbles floating around, making a mess, just the visual clutter of it. So I'm doing them now. You should be able to filter it out. That should be a setting where you can just hide side quests. No, but they're still there. They are still there, but you wouldn't have them on your map or whatever saying, hey, look at me. Well, it's it's also now that I'm playing, you know, I'm I'm going back to the... uh, back to my roots you know i'm a level i'm a level 10 character i can go back and do all of these like you know level seven level seven side quests and still get a not unmeaningful amount of of xp or gil at this point i would never recommend them for the rewards the only benefit in my opinion is that they tend to relate to where you are and the value of them is debatable but so we do get a taste of farm life and doing farm chores is a good gameplay probably not is it good for context? Maybe. Definitely for context, I would say. Just more more immersion. More living in the even living in the moment in the land and experiencing uh the the lived life of all of these people outside of MSQ, which I enjoy. Carry on. I will. So we're back at Stalevern now, this old balding, eye patched former pirate captain. We have one more box to check before we can actually get questing here, which is the gear check. Ah, yes, I remember this. Time to go spend all of the money you've earned so far (laughs) in buying gear. So you gear up, it's fine. It's the tutorial for item levels, no big deal. And there's a merchant just down on a a lower tier of this farm encampment you can buy from. So it's pretty easy. Oh my god, I missed that totally. I went, I went back to Hawker's Alley. You can see on your mini map, there's a merchant symbol. How how sad. I hope you have the Aetherite, at least, for the farm. Oh, for sure. Okay. You know, it's the first thing you do is you attune. Good instincts. <laughs> if you don't attune, you're an asshole. This is true. You heard it here first from Jen. Anyway, once Staleburn is satisfied, he tells us the situation. As we know, there have been these kidnappings going on nearby in Limsa and also in Lenosia. It seems the farm is being creeped on by some people with Azure face tattoos. Farmhands are convinced that these guys are the kidnappers and they refuse to work. Maybe just an excuse, I don't know. But they won't work until these things are dealt with. So here we come in. Whatever. Staleferns acting like they're all afraid of these guys. But there's some dissonance here because the farmhands are all former pirates. You would think they'd be spoiling for a fight and a chance to get their, their fists bloody or whatever because they're complaining about the farm life so much. But no, these big tough pirates are complaining to the big boss, Stalevern, that they won't work until someone fixes this problem. No, I mean, they're like a classic pirate. They're opportunists. So they see an excuse to postpone the farming and like, hey, you know what? I feel threatened. And if you could just... I really don't feel comfortable um, showing up for work when there's this obvious threat. Um, I really, as the employer, I think it's your responsibility to deal with this and create a safe working environment. And then they can go like fuck off until this thing is dealt with. <laughs> like I did, that's how I see it. It's completely cynical. It's like if you're a teenager, or at least if I'm a teenager and I'm trying to get out of chores, the slightest impediment is like, oh, can't do the chores. Nope. I, oh, I got to wash dishes? Oh, the gl- I don't have any gloves. Where are the gloves? There are no gloves. I'm not washing dishes. I'm not putting my hands in the filthy wet food water. So here we are. We're going to go bust some Azure tattooed heads. I don't remember this at all. <laughs> We're on the trail here. We track them down to this little haunted cavern. And this place is a little circular cave underneath the farm. Oh, this place. Yeah. I miss it every time. Because the marker shows on the map, so I'm heading to the marker. Do 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 do, and then I get there, and there's nothing. If there's z-axis fuckery, I'm I'm out. Eventually, we find this entrance. We descend down below the earth. This place is a natural stone cave. It's got a big ruined, like ruined inscribed pillar in the center of it, and it has these little orange floating ghosties called bogies flying around. 
And these are the actual ghosts of Eorzea, like spirits of the dead, typically left behind by people with unfinished business. Huh. Classic ghost. These creatures, they look ridiculous. They look like little sperms with wings. (laughs) (laughs) I literally have never visualized them as little sperms. How? It's, they've got the know. little tail and the big bulbous body. Yep. yep. I guess the proportions were just so exaggerated from like a real sperm that I couldn't These apply. Are fat I, sperms. They're they're very fat sperms with um like big floppy ears. They they flap around when they fly. They're the wings. Wings. Yep. See, I, here I am, like these, these, you know, floating balls with with giant ears, but they're actually just sperms. They're the Dumbo sperm because they fly with their ears. Oh, Dumbo octopus are so cute. <laughs> <laughs> these guys, though, they're not hostile, so we can go and check out the pillar in peace, and we do so. But we are interrupted during our inspection by a woman's voice. I am the waves that bear. I am the winds that guide. I am the evening stars. I am the morning sky. I am born of the sea, and there shall I die. This is a character called a cultured conjurer, a white-haired Mikote lady with purple tattoos on her neck. They look very similar to Thancred's from the Ulda quest line. The handsome stranger? That guy. I miss him. She also has her viewfinder-like atherometer sling around her neck. And we'll learn in just a short time this person is Yishtola. I was surprised when this happened. I'm like, oh, like, of course. In whatever city you start in, there's going to be a a Charlian scholar who will eventually accompany you um, as you're, you know, fighting some bullshit. And then the, you know, the Asians start to filter in. And then all of these guys come together. um, Charlian scholars, scions, and masked men, suddenly they start to um, they start to descend upon your personal space. Every starting quest line for every city has the same beats to it. Right. It's just the way they're portrayed are very different. Right. It's, it's you know, it's just another skin. It was actually a really special moment for, for me personally, because, well, Ishola and I, we've been through some shit over the past year. So, and because I started in Ulda, I didn't get a lot of experience with her as like her, um, you know, her early conjurer self. I mean, it's obvious like you're being followed, which is creepy. Or you just happen to, to you know, to to show up at a, at a very significant etheric area of the landscape at the same time. She tells you this, but you are presumably being nudged by Hydaelyn into these places. Hydaelyn, in terms of her kind of marking you as someone that is important to her. Right. She's presumably trying to engineer this in like a, a very kind of broad ocean current type sense of pushing so that, these that things makes along. Sense. Yeah. The audio we just heard is her translating the runes on the pillar. This is the Limson lifestyle and a prayer to those that die on land and hopes that they will end up in the sea. We can infer possibly that the bogey, the ghost spirits here, are possibly maroon sailors that died on land and they are stuck here. Forever pining for the ocean. That's sad. Well, we're going to smack them down in a minute. Great. And that'll (laughs) Releasing their their ether into a... Okay, well, then I feel less bad. Good. (laughs) The Encyclopedia Eorzea notes that ghosts actually have flesh in this game. So it's not like you're hitting this etheric manifestation. These are actually like fleshy spirit containers. Damn. Like sperm. Like sperm. Exactly. Great. Anyway, like you mentioned, Jen, Yishola has been spying on us. She's been trying to root out the kidnappers, and she suspected us for a hot minute, but now she realizes, no, we're not actually suspect. We're on the same trail as her. Yep. Unfortunately, this little chat is cut short by a big fat guy dropping down. Oh, man. This this guy is... He was terrifying to me when I first started playing. Like, he's, he's impossibly huge. He also has a creepy face. It's a... Giant gray-skinned blob of flesh with whipping vine-like arms and multiple rows of teeth. A Yeah, an impossibly wide mouth. And it's covered in moss and plant growth, and it's bearing down on us rapidly. He's mad. When you start in most places, these things are just kind of hanging out. They tend to be pretty docile in, yeah. for the most part. They're carnivorous, but also they, they don't like come and chase you down from a million miles away. No, they're, yeah, they're... 
They're they're docile. This guy though, he's the scariest gubu in the game because when you you see him in this cutscene, he's charging at he's you. Violent man. And the camera shows yeah. right on his teeth with his open mouth and all these rows of like pointy teeth. Yeah, it's not great. <laughs> While this thing is charging us, Ishtola is busy analyzing the etheric disturbance that brought her here and speculating as to who's trying to silence us with this apparent trap. So this giant monster is charging down. You can hear its feet stomping in the cutscene, and she's busy speculating and musing about the greater circumstances here. Eventually, she grudgingly pauses on her reflections once the thing is itches away from you and roaring in your face. A little help? We have to dispatch it before we can proceed with this analysis, I guess. I guess. So we do that with Ishola's help. She's she's the healer in the situation. So huzzah. She's got this little itty bitty leafy twig that she wields as her weapon. It's literally the symbol for conjurer, like in the rest of the game. Thanks, Jen. You're welcome. You're not selling, though, how absurd it is to see this twig no bigger than her hand being whipped around and, and flourished during this fight. So we start fighting this creature. Yishola is healing you, and midway through, some bogies get aggravated, and they close in on you as well. So these formerly passive ghosts have gotten all riled up by all the hubbub, and they attack you. And then following that, we have some little tiny gooboos coming. These are maybe half the size of the big one. And you dispatch those guys, you focus on the ads first in general, then you take on the big guy. Which is um, not difficult. I, no. You know what? In you know that's that's privilege talking. Okay, like as a new player, probably um, not not that easy, especially when the when the ads come in and you've got to focus your attention and figure out how to how to push your buttons. Once the fight's done, we notice a small glowing blue crystal has appeared on the floor during the scuffle. We don't know where it came from. It's just there when the fight's over, and we reach down to pick it up. We're overwhelmed by a vision, and we get the same cutscene as in the Ulda Path which is we get drawn into the ethereal sea and we meet Heidelin and she tells us to collect the other crystals to avert disaster. So the light is waning. Then we wake up. So we wake up. Ishola's like, hey, you okay there? Um, and she has discovered that something was done specifically to the goo to make it enraged. Poor thing was stabbed. She found a knife and a knife specifically used for um, cutting rope. This is a, a knife you find on ships. It's... I mean, obviously, it's like, well, that doesn't narrow down the perpetrator very much, but still, it is a clue. Um, so somebody's somebody's uh, fucking with us. And once she's assessed the evidence, she then asks us what happened to us, why we fainted just now. And we tell her what happens. We presumably give her a recap of our vision. And she's like, oh, interesting. So this is not surprising to her. It's bemusing at best. Mm -hmm. But she knows about this kind of phenomena. So she heads off, um, she gives us the knife to show to Stalvern, and she says, we'll meet again, and off she goes. So Jen, this is our second cerebral Makote we've met in as many episodes. She is way more charismatic than Clea. I wouldn't even call it charismatic. As we'll learn later on, Ishtola, she tends to be pretty... Uh, She's, she's, I wouldn't say uptight, but she's very serious. She's yes. one of the more serious um, people of the group. She wins you over by being on top of it, not by being a charmer. Unlike Thancred, for instance. But she is still, there's a, there's a warmth when she approaches you. And there's a, like a de-escalation in the way that she, you know, she communicates. And it's not, it's not pure data. Yeah, she, she comes across like, she isn't, she isn't anybody to fuck with. She knows her stuff. But like I said, there's there's something much more approachable. Well, I mean, she opens up the entire interaction with reciting like a poem, which is a really beautiful moment. So she has like a connection to to Limsa and its history in a in a way that is endearing. Whereas Clea is obnoxious. She does the same thing as Yishtola did, which is she's in a tense situation and she gets all cerebral. But whereas Clea is just busy spouting bullshit about stratagems. And that's the way the game chooses to portray her as being a smart person. Ishtola is actually, she is saying things that are insightful. And she treats the fracas as a annoying distraction versus as being a, a optimization problem. 
She's very much right. like Sherlock Holmes is, Ishola is. Yes. In terms of, okay, so I'm I'm always thinking, even in this tense situation, I'm picking up a million things and I'm analyzing them. Yes, like she's always in analyzing in, in an analytical mode, but in a way to me that I, I just, I love it. When she does her little like hand on the hip and she like taps her knuckles against the side of her face, you know, she's, she's cooking something up. She's thinking of something brilliant. She's channeling it. I don't know, like... You couldn't possibly feel nervous about anything when Ishtol is in the room. I thought it was interesting just to see a similar kind of concept implemented so differently in such a short time period. Yes. We go back to the farm. We show the knife to Stalevern, and he speculates that the culprits are wanting to Shanghai pirates back into a pirating life. I mean, I feel like a bunch of them would go willingly. I don't know why you'd need to like threaten them with knives, but whatever. That's a fair point. We'll learn soon enough that that's not the case quite in terms of these people's motivations. But I I do think that many people here would jump at the chance to go back and be a pirate and not be on the Admiral's bad side. Some of them are happy to do piracy, even though it does earn the ire of their superiors. So we tell Stalevern about Yishtola. He fills us in on her deal. She studies Aether and is often in the area. Stalevern goes on to complain about a Severin and his men never getting the job done. Here we go. So we're going to go and round them up so Stalevern can give them a talking to. <clears throat> I expected this part of the quest to actually be, let's go look for pirates, but no, oops, they're actually missing. Yeah. But no, 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 no. You've got a ways to go before. That's a whole other. See, that's that's the thing. But this, this segment of the MSQ... Um, to me was like, aside from the, the encounter with Ishtola, God, it's so forgettable. And I don't, maybe it's because, you know, we've already done this in Ulda, so it seems very much like the same shit over again, which, which it is. I disagree, you know? actually, and I will get to that in our wrap up thoughts, but I don't think that's true. Okay. So this is, this is Severin's crew, quote unquote, his, his buddies. Yes. There's like, what, like three of them, three or four of them. Run around and be like, "Hey, Stalevern, Stalevern's want. Uh, he's he's wondering where the fuck you are. Get back to work." And they've always got like, <laughs> but then they 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 go back. So we we find Severin, a bandana wearing cure, and he's out down by the road. It seems like he's selling the farm's produce to goblins, but the goblins betrayed him, and he'll agree to go back to the farm if we bail him out of this situation. These these double dealing goblins, blah blah blah. Was it over a sack of oranges? I think so. He yes. was he was like basically stealing from the farm to sell the goods to the goblins. These you know these double dealing gobbies, blah blah blah. So we have to go over there and and I guess rescue also like his crew. weren't they weren't they being? Yes, his crew got captured during this deal. Right, and Severin was like peace, and he basically bailed. Yes, which he will do again and yes. again. So we go rescue his 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 people, and they're very grateful. Um, they think Severin's a sack of shit. Um, but they still they hang out still with him. They still hang out with him. It's some sort of like pirate's honor. I don't know what the fuck. Um, or at least they don't have very high expectations for his behavior. All around a very toxic relationship. Agreed. Anyway, so we rescue them from the gobbies. We fight some gobbies. Um, we go back to Severin, and he's like, gee, thanks. You know what? Why don't you go ahead and take these oranges to the uh, to the trading post? Like I was supposed to do. Okay. So here's a better crime for you, Severin. Why don't you take these oranges to the trading post, get paid for them, and then pocket the cash? Right. Like this is a far less risky crime. Maybe he was just trying to launder his efforts there. Like, oh no, uh, he could, you know, uh, have some plausible deniability with the gobbies maybe uh, uh, jumping him on the path maybe. and stealing his oranges or whatever. Possibly. He's bad at doing crimes though. <laughs> as we'll find he's, out yeah he's yeah he's not he's not great he's a pretty lazy criminal and a terrible friend so next up we we drop off the oranges we get paid and so on next we're off to meet with um help me out here jen frey val <laughs> no idea frey val frey val fucking christ a calm frey val actually okay so there there are a couple of whatever n- a number of names that i just started calling them like wide load or beef loaf or whatever or like whatever the closest you know assortment of consonants that those is familiar are to me. hell's guard names i am i apologize but this guy's gonna be free wall wide loaf is a perfect 
Hellsgard name. It is, but there's already a sea wolf named Wide Loaf. Sorry. So we're going to call this guy um, Freeval. Let's just call him Freeval. Who is a Rogadian botanist. He's got the hatchet and everything for, for botany. And he's actually one of the, the farmhands that does his job. And he's also disgusted by these slacker pirates doing nothing. It seems that some pack of assholes has stolen these tools from the farm. And they're going to take them and make them into make weapons. Make them into weapons. Because that's really easy to do. A classic thing is actually like the swords and the plowshares and vice versa. War's done, so we go and take our swords and melt them down. Yeah, and make this plowshares. is our retirement now. We're going. We're getting into a nice, the nice farm farm life on the homestead. And and these guys are just like, hey, we're gonna steal some shovels. We're gonna make some swords, and then we're gonna get back into pirating. Like how? Why? Freeval has actually sworn off violence, and he's like, I can't even fight these guys because I have sworn off that lifestyle. Good for him. That's really hard. Yeah, it's like quitting, you know, smoking cold turkey. He found a loophole, though, which is we get to go and beat up these pirates. And we do. We have a good time. This can be a bit hard because you probably don't have a range attack yet unless you're a caster. And these guys are in a very dense camp of pirates. They're down the bit by the river. This was great. I walked in there, pulled aggro on all of them, and then just AoE'd them Way all to, to shit. Way to flex your tank privilege. It was great. It was great. Um, no, but no, as a caster, you can, you can pick them off one by one, but I just went in there and just like pff, wailed on the whole pack. It was very satisfying. I guess that's it actually, because you, you can't start as a rogue here. So you're either a marauder or a, um, an arcanist. So I guess you do yeah. have the tools to handle it. The worst thing would be not knowing your own strength as a marauder, because you are tough enough. You use your, your rampart ability mm-hmm. and you walk in there and you can survive these hits long enough to knock these guys down because Definitely. you're a big beefcake as a tank. But if you were to be more timid, actually, that might be where you run into trouble because you just want to own it and knock them down. Yeah, ASAP. get in there and get out. Anyway, um, we do that. We get the goods back and drop them off with Freeval. Great. However, Freeval suspects that Severin once again was the the person who arranged this sale or this theft to these pirates. Of course he was. And we go and narc on him back to Stalevern. <laughs> Which we really don't need to do. He's well aware of his bullshit. Well, this is but. the last straw for Stalevern, though. He's like, this is it. I'm done with this guy. Yeah. Unfortunately, though, Severin has once again disappeared. <laughs> this fucking guy. Yeah, we're babysitting Severin. That's the MSQ for this point, this point in time. If this guy were gone from the farm, it'd all be peachy. This is like the problem person. Yes. You call him the bad orange of the bunch. Oh, my God. I guess so. We haven't found any apples on this farm yet. Severin has taken his band of flunkies who don't learn. And he's headed down the um, the Wode Whisper Canyon, which is that big cleft in the land that was mentioned earlier, left behind by the Calamity. Yeah. So now they have this enormous scaffolding structure that they've built to traverse the... The, the land has split and shifted vertically. So the part that we're on is, I'd call it 50 feet, roughly. Yeah. Or you call it maybe 20 yalms. Okay. Sure, yes. In, in the Final Fantasy parlance, I don't know. I'm, anyway. I'm okay with that, yeah. So there's this big vertical gap, and that scaffolding that you mentioned, Jin, winds its way down. So it's like a partial stairs, partial bridge across the canyon. Yes. And also, there is a rocky ridge that runs along it, and that is where Severin has gone. We find his his uh, his bros scattered along the way. Yeah, they're complaining about him leading them into a trap. Mm-hmm. So he set them up for some bullshit. And the first guy is like, that Severin, I, I don't trust him. Uh-huh. So I got away. Why don't you find better friends, bro? I don't know. I think there's this this loyalty that you can't just toss by the wayside. This, again, the pirate code, which we know nothing about. We do know much about it because we talked about that in Limsa episode one, Jen. One of the code tenants is you shall not sell your fellow Limsons into slavery. No! <laughs> Jen. <laughs> well, shit. Yep. Rule number one. I think it's number three, but whatever. Point being, Severin is pretty good rule. Is a, a big code breaker, not the cool kind, the lame <laughs> kind. Yeah, not the World War II kind. We follow this little stone ridge that is set into the side of the canyon wall up the path, heading up towards this waterfall that rushes down like the entrance to the canyon. Eventually, after we pass by. A, another pirate who had a similar fate. Yeah, they're they're all very beat up. 
we find the rest of the farmhands and Severin, and they're being faced down by a low-rent Kratos. <laughs> nice. I- I'm serious. This yeah, guy, bald guy with face paint. Yeah. Pale alabaster skin. He's got a half face face paint. He's big and bulky. And he's kicking Severin while a masked lady watches. And you can see a bit of azure tattoo poking out from under her mask. Yeah, they all have uh, facial markings. We have heard tell of these markings before. In the dialogue that we overhear, we find out that Severin is a deserter of this group. The Serpent Reavers. The Serpent Reavers. And the Serpent Reavers are apparently under thrall of the Sahagan, doing their their dirty work. They've joined forces. The Sahagan are fish people. If we know D&D stuff, they look just like Sahu again. Oh, okay. Tall, gangly. They're they're like bipedal fishmen. Yes, exactly. But they they also, they have very sharp facial features too. It's not like a a big goldfish head. No, no, no. Their their proportions, I mean, their like head to body proportion is is definitely more towards the human side of the spectrum. They don't have like giant gaping fish mouths or eyes or whatever. Yep. Anyway, so Serpent Reavers, working with the Sahagan, bad news. And Severin is a deserter, which is um violation, the biggest violation ever in, in these uh like in shitty pirate land. So instead of death they are asking for a trade. Like, okay, if you want to leave, then you owe us warm bodies. So he was luring his his crew, his buddies, into this situation so that he could trade them for his freedom. Gross. So, yeah, he's on the ground. He's getting kicked to shit by this guy, by the, the Kratos guy. He sees us approach and assumes we're here to help Severin, which maybe... Kind of. Yeah. But, yeah. Incidentally, yes, but... Also, no. But this whole thing is spoiled by the appearance. The camera sees, but we don't presumably see a black robed figure lurking by a nearby boulder. Mm-hmm. And this is the same black masked Asian as we saw in the Uldah quest line. Yeah, he is some Asian minion. I'm pretty sure he's the same person, just he appears here because that's right. the story beat we're getting right. at this point. Yeah, totally. Once again, he sees us and intones this dark incantation and outsprings a massive clay golem from the earth. Yeah, just like we did in, in Ulda. Which is, 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 it's, I don't know. I think maybe I wish that we fought something different. I don't know if that fucking matters. But. It does. It's, it felt appropriate in the Sildi ruins yes. in Ulda. It does not feel appropriate here. It's like, I expected there to be a different enemy, but nope, it's the exact same clay golem what about a, like a giant water sprite since that's where the you know we were in that environment we were surrounded by water sprites and is there such a thing as like a water golem i mean there, there can be i'm sure in this game i'm trying to think of what we've seen for giant water creatures and there are some but pudding or something well how about a just like a stone golem because the area we're in is very heavy and hard gray stone oh so you're like mad that it's clay and not stone there's no continuity between the clay golem and the surrounding environment Anyway, it is what it is, obviously. (laughs) This this isn't a limestone golem. (laughs) This is a fucking red clay golem, immersed and broken. That's some ribcage xylophone shit right there. (laughs) Either way, though, my biggest gripe actually is not the type of creature we face, but the fact that this Asian could have waited five minutes and had us be weakened by fighting the pirates, then drop a golem on us. We're about to face down these tough guys here. Hold Hold it in a little bit. Keep in your pants for five minutes. Let us fight these tough... You know, maybe, yeah, maybe that could have been our test, right? Like, if he's trying to judge our strength? He's trying to kill us because he expects the golem to kill us and he's complaining the whole time about how we're too tough to be killed by yeah, the golem. Yeah, yeah, So, so strength I mean, is unparalleled or something. He interrupts bullshit. us being, like, heavily outnumbered <laughs> and, <Yep. laughs> and, and, and scares everybody off so that he can fight us himself. Either way, we do it. We beat up the golem. The Asian is astounded. And this time he's peering down at us from up on a, a rocky ridge higher in the canyon. And we look up there, but he's disappeared a second before we look up. Ooh. And now Yishtola runs up just seconds too late, ruining that the snake slithered away. Oh, so you know this guy. She knows of him, at least. Yes. And then we get a flashback to Yishtola's past. 
Right. Pre-calamity. So it, in Yastrola's flashback, she's in Limsa Luminsa, um, city proper. Uh, I think she's at the anchor yard. And she sees some a group of pirates that she's never seen before having having kind of a hushed discussion. And she's saying to herself, like, okay, this is a group of people that I've never seen before. This coincides with an uptick in activity with the, the kobold and the sahagan. I wonder if they're related. This is worrisome. And she goes down to the to the docks. A little girl gives her a flower. Well, that, that's a time skip. So it fades out and fades in again. Right. Um, so apparently the uh, there's a celebration going on because the Maelstrom have decided to opening a new training ground in a quote-unquote hole in the sea. We'll explore that later. No idea. And so people are kind of gathering around, looking up. There's fireworks and things like that. And she's looking through her viewfinder and noticing just some weird ether shit. There's a second vision between those two where she's on the docks. She's commenting on how the sea level is rising. And she looks up and sees the red moon Dalamud descending on us. And it's it's just very ominous. And that ends. And then we see the flower girl. Yeah, she's and she remarks, she says something like, the world is becoming less and less like itself. The very last meeting is presumably right before she meets us for the first time in that ocean cave. Because she sees an etheric disturbance. She runs off to check it out. She comments when she meets us about tracking down an etheric disturbance. Yeah. Much like Thancred did. Right. I'm sure they're still extremely touchy because some of these readings are very much like what they were seeing pre-Calamity. You know, obviously, and they're very concerned because in the wake of the Calamity, there's still a whole lot of civilization that needs rebuilding. However, we also have an uptick of beastman activity, and she's afraid that um, the primal threat will rear its ugly head and they'll have to deal with multiple fronts of bullshit. Yes. There's no more company of heroes this time. I don't, what are we going to do? That's uh, some foreshadowing right there. Mm-hmm. Oh, That's- also speaking of foreshadowing, she makes a comment the very first time you meet her about how fascinating the Aether is or something like that. Or no, it's during the flashback, I think, right? I think so. Yeah. Oh, she's like, I can't believe that I can actually see Aether. And it's incredible. I never thought I would be able to see ether. No idea if this was at all envisioned, but that's... I know. I, I, I noticed that too. But enough hitting at, at future events. Let's press on here. Yeah. Back in the present, Yishtola's link pearl pings her ear and she answers it saying that he got away, presumably the Asian. Yep. And she goes off to do her business, her mysterious business. But before she does, though, she tells us about the Serpent Reavers being thralls to the Sahagin. So we head back to Stalvern and, you know, Severin and having to deal with all of that. Right. Severin, though, is actually in this moment repentant. Very much so. Yes. He realizes that he fucked up big time. And we learn in just a moment that he actually had a change of heart at the last minute and tried to defend his crew. And that's why he got beat up. Right. Is because he was trying to turn Make on amends. the Serpent Reavers. Yes. He, I mean, he, he had, he was in over his head with this. And, and Stilvern, when, before we embarked on this, this mission, he mentioned that Severin looked a little hunted. I'm like, okay. So yeah, he's gotten himself into some, into some shit and he doesn't know how to deal with it. So now he's fully admitted that, um, he's, uh, he, he was a piece of shit. And he was going to traffic his friends. He joined the Serpent Reavers. And immediately after he joined, they, quote unquote, bent the knee to the Sahagin. And that was a complete deal breaker for him. So, I mean, good on that. Because, I mean, that's a, that's a good instinct. Yeah, bail, bro. And he did. Um, but, of course, that meant they were going to fucking find him and kill him or ask for something really despicable in trade. Which they did. Yep. So, now he's basically committed himself to... Um, uh, atonement, and he's going to turn himself into the Yellow Jackets. And Stilvern is like, you know, you you abide by your own moral compass. So if that's what you want to do, I'm I f- I'm fully supportive. However, noting his his change of heart, and you know, there is there is a moral compass within Severin. You always have a place here at Summerford Farms. And he's like, hey, I appreciate that, but I'm going to go and and um, do my time. Um, but before he goes, um, we are encouraged to go speak to Baderon because Baderon's kind of, uh, he's very much in with the Yellow Jackets and they listen to him. So we can we can tell Baderon Severin's story on his behalf. And so f- hopefully he can put in a good word 
with the yellow jacket, so he's not, you know, uh, drawn and quartered so much. <laughs> um, and so that the, you know, poor kid has a future. We're also done with our farm work as well. Yep. We're on now to the next thing, which Baderon will give us the hookup for. And that's where we'll leave off with today. Jen, what are your thoughts? The I guess the, the Severin storyline felt a little bit wishy-washy because it wasn't clear to me how this will connect to the to the narrative at large. I guess I I was like, all right, we're gonna go chase after this little, you know, shit fuck pirate again. And um not seeing how that was going to connect. I mean it didn't it didn't really, but I guess neither did the Ulda uh stretch of this story. Because I mean we're dealing with like, you know, a mining conglomerate and we just happened to be in an area where the Asian was like, all right, I'm gonna ambush them now. So basically I was waiting for some some big like story reveal when really that's that's not anything that would ever happen i disagree um with that to an extent obviously this is not the best writing in the game right now no question and when we got to the farm after the ishul meeting we were going to go and run up pirates and then i was like oh great so here comes the the quest doldrums where we have to do bullshit for five levels before the story advances exactly but Unlike with the Uldah quest, where we bounce between seven-ish different people and do talk to one person, do one task, talk to the next person, do a task, in these unconnected events, uh, we actually get a continuous story in one location here. So we don't get a whirlwind tour of assholes of Lanosia here, unlike in Thanalan, where we saw five different organizations and have- We talked to everybody. Right. But no, great. here we spend the whole time in middle Anosia. We are on the farm the entire time doing farm business. This is what is happening in Limsa. This is the next step in the growth of Limsa where they are turning their rope cutting knives into plowshares and they are getting yes. to work. And these are the frictions that are being experienced as this recent change that Admiral Merrill Vib directed. Yes. These, these are the, the frictions that she has caused with this huge culture shift. And the repercussions. Yeah, I've, I felt very much connected to this live transformation that uh, Lenosia is seeing. There, that's, there's definitely a connection there, and I, I appreciated that. This, though, is what I wanted from Ulda, and why I was so bummed out by the fetchy bullshit in Ulda is because there's no story. There are probably six, seven levels of zero story, just time killing in Ulda until that a plot line with the um, the stolen crown and so on picks up again. Yeah. I mean, Ulda definitely has problems. I mean, it has all of these refugee camps. It's a, it's a major issue that they're dealing with post-calamity. Um, it's it's a huge socioeconomic problem. And and also we have these, um, you know, the, the, uh, the monetarists and these conglomerates so in Lanosia, we get this combined theming of the story that focuses on one group of people. It is not just a bunch of random events strung together. It is actually a story. We have an arc from beginning to end over the course of these five levels. It also, we hit the bigger quest story beats as well in the process. We meet Ischola. We see our first Asian. And um, we also learn more about the kidnappings, which is the microplot of the Limsa storyline in these first 15 levels. So we have a full story of the Semmerford Farms right here with having this problem person going from being a piece of shit to being somewhat actually redeemed. And this is also, of course, one of the themes of the game as a whole is redemption. I think that might be because Ulda is host to a variety of issues. And so while it is disjointed and we're talking to a bunch of different people, we do get a broad picture. Not It's not a deep, you know, it's it's not in depth, but it's a broad picture of Thanalan in general, um, you know, left to right. I mostly disagree because we don't get to know any of the people we meet. So while we are literally taking in a broader piece of the world, I think that is so shallow as to be meaningless. I don't know who these people are or what they even represent. I would agree with you. Um, it's a, it's a, yeah, it's a very superficial kind of broad overview of all the different things that are going on, going on in Ilda. But no, you don't, you don't get a, an in-depth understanding of how all of these different things play together. 
But I mean, you'll you'll spend plenty of time in Ulda going forward. You will be able to examine all of that stuff. But in the early MSQ, no, um, they can only go so deep. I, you know, maybe they that was the 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 point was to just give um, new players a brief overview of where you are. You don't need to showcase every single thing in this portion. You, you it's I, I don't buy the quantity over quality argument because the the quality is pretty bad. In terms of any any moment in that, sequence. I would be I would be interested to see or to hear other people's opinions on this. If you know, the, the comparing the MSQ, the early MSQ between Uldal and Salomonsa and Gridania, and like you know, perceived quality differences there, I think that's interesting. I think everybody's going to have their own opinion on that. I agree. I don't know how many people have been crazy enough to play through all three of them. I would say a decent amount of people. A lot of alts out there. Well, that's about two-thirds of the Limsa questline done, but next time we'll be taking a break and we'll talk about the Marauder class. Yeah, um, I'm excited because I think this will be the f- first time that I've started like a tank class from zero. Gladiator. Oh, shit. Wow, that was a long time ago. <laughs> I'm, I'm full of shit. Yeah, so we'll do some rotting. We'll uh, break some boulders. I hear that's spoilers. That's that's what you do as a marauder. Very excited. Say, fucking hate boulders, man. Anyway, well, that'll do it for this episode. Um, again, if you have any opinions on what we discussed find us online uh you can tweet us at pod return or you can send us an email at uh, pod return ffxiv at gmail.com and as always thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next time